The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. for some reason uh, don't waste any of it man what are you doing be careful i think it's because we're all foaming at the mouth already yeah. it's just trying to be speak for in. yourself something like that right 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 okay let's do what could do this do what could do okay do well do what could do then welcome folks to episode number 55 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast uh, 55. Is that a special number in some way? I don't know why. Every I mean, week- seven more episodes and we can apply for social insecurity. <laughs> so, you think we're going to make it that far? Uh, probably. Probably. Uh, I don't know. The way we're slowing down. We're recording. We're not slowing down. What are you talking about? <laughs> We've done one podcast, at least one podcast a week for almost a year now. We're coming up on our anniversary of weekly podcasts and... Uh, and I'm looking forward to that milestone. We're recording this particular episode on Wednesday evening, November 14th, 2007. And uh, I guess we'll just jump in and say hi to the other folks who are here this evening with us in the virtual hangar. We have, uh, let's see now, Jeb Burnside's out there. Uh, he's uh, clicking and slurping and snort- snorting and whatever. All right, all right, all right. Chewing. Jeb is, a, <clears throat> Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz, and he's talking to us from sunny Sarasota, Florida. Is it still sunny down there? You know, i got to tell you, and this is this is no bragging. You're no, going to tell me it got cold down to 65, no, no, right? No, it has been magnificent here the last couple of weeks. In the evenings, it might get down to, uh, to 55. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the in the morning, you wake up. It's like sixty eight. There's no humidity. There's a breeze. The sun shines all day. Yesterday we had you know some clouds move in. Look for a few minutes, like it might rain, but they went away. And today there wasn't you know again you know just some white puffies, and that's about it. Blue sky, um, low humidity, a breeze. Um, I I can't find anything wrong with this. Enjoy it while you can, sunshine. Well, no, no, no. Because no, I know. You know, I'm looking forward to next July when you guys have 170 percent humidity. Dude, when I, when I moved down here Labor Day weekend, and I was I was joking with some of my coworkers this week how biblical hot it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and they're like, oh, you don't know biblical hot. I said, dude, this was Old Testament hot down here. <laughs> Labor Day when I was moving in and out of this house, so yeah, I know, but um, but it was it's, hot. It's, it wasn't humid. This I'm, I want to wait when you get really it, it serious was, Florida humidity it, weather. That's the it, part that I'm wanting yeah, to hear about. So here, here's the punchline, though. It wasn't any more humid or any more hot than a lot of days I've spent in Washington in which September. Is, well, in September, well, no, it's not in September, but that's okay. There's still air conditioning. Da, 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 da. Call me in February when you got three feet of snow on the ground and you can't get out the front door. Global warming, man. We don't have snow anymore. 
Well, well, that's um, the other thing. See, I, where I am now, like a half a mile from the beach, this will be beachfront property in 20 years. You the whole state will be <laughs> And in 21, 21 years, it'll be uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. a marine world. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> and speaking of biblical, our, another friend here with us in the hangar this evening. <laughs> now, just because he's old as Methuselah. Is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And he's talking to us from not quite so warm wichita kansas how you doing dave not bad not bad we had a uh really gorgeous blue day uh much of the daylight hours today a little bit of high stuff passed overhead it was windy and uh about four o'clock died down to almost nothing got all the way to 58 tomorrow is looking the same uh, gonna go out and fly and shoot an airplane and uh, and, and enjoy hanging out of a Cessna 150 with the window open. Yeah, I want to hear about that. But be, first of all, let me uh, let me welcome our other uh, friend here in the hangar with us uh, this week is Randy Dufault. Randy is a uh, freelance aviation writer, uh, an Air Venture Today staffer, a Cessna owner. Owner, I can't say a Cessna owner. owner. <laughs> And a fellow technology geek, and he's talking to us what in the wintertime is the coldest big city in America, Minneapolis-St. Paul. What do you mean, Randy? Well, I'm I'm doing fine. That wind is blowing all the way up from from Wichita, I'll tell you. It was... It can't be coming from here, man. It'd be making a loop. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's It's probably... It's been coming from your It's probably coming from here to there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Canada blows and the Gulf of Mexico sucks, but that's yeah. another story. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, talking about weather, last Sunday, I, it was just glorious here. I, uh, um, it, you talk about global warming, that was certainly a, a sign of it, I think. The weather guy up here on TV a couple days ago showed a graphic. Uh, you know, he was showing they had these great weather has the best TV graphics these days. And, you know, he had kind of this Google Earth thing where it kind of scrolled up from from New England up to northern Canada, where the temperature was like minus six degrees. And he was saying, look, this is what's coming our way. And so but I think it's going to come through you guys first and then it then it's going to find its way to New England. Uh, that whole yeah. that whole Montreal. Well, we call it the Montreal Express. I don't know what you call it up in. in uh, oh, up here Minnesota. we get Alberta Clippers. Ah, right. OK. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Same yeah. kind of thing, but yep. uh, it's I cold when it happens. Yep. And I am Jack Hodgson, a private pilot, a freelance <laughs> writer, and a new media producer. And I'm here in uh, in uh, in. Uh, I was trying. To Where the hell up. are you? I'm in Boston. I was trying to come up with some way Boston. of characterizing the weather. It's like you know, uh, temperate, temperate Boston, Massachusetts. Neither Sarasota nor Minneapolis, St. Paul. So home of the champion. Uh, world champion Red Sox. Yeah, I know. I was crowing about that the other day, so uh, or a couple a couple episodes ago. It's pretty cool. Now we've got the well. See, you know, I've never been a basketball fan really in my life, but the Boston Celtics are doing like like crazy, insane things. They've like won the first six. They're undefeated after six games, which is not a huge deal. But if you know the Boston Celtics from a year ago, you know that is a huge deal. So uh, Well, and that's due in no small part to an acquisition they made from the Minnesota team. As a matter of fact, that's right, huh? What'd you guys do? That was like not very good thinking, was it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if he wanted to trade Luke to fish for baked beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so Dave, you're doing this uh what are you doing an air to air shoot tomorrow? Uh, uh, that, that's the plan. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, the last, uh, 70 minutes of daylight. 
and uh, flying the airplane earlier in the day for a magazine article, the client that I'll uh, talk about when the article's in print. But, yeah, no, I, mean, I don't want you to give away uh, too much, but we're all kind of jealous that you get to go and do, the, or at least I am, that, that sounds like fun to go do these air-to-air shoots. Well, I, I really, it, you know, it's, some, it's something that uh, really challenges me. It's a lot of fun. It's more work than you might think of looking at the pictures in the magazines, uh, you know, the, 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 particularly the really spectacular stuff that you see out of uh, Mike Pfizer, Paul Bowen, or uh, Jimmy Lawrence, uh, uh, just to name three, three that I know best. And uh, uh, there's a fair amount of time goes into coming up with a dozen publishable pictures of an airplane in flight and, and, and uh, some candidates for the cover. Uh, and it's always this balancing act. Spring and summer, it's really easy and comfortable, you know, to sit, you know, inside a, a, a an airplane that's got a door off or you know a big window open. Uh, but then you got to dice with, you know, turbulence, thermals, bumps in the air, uh, down low where you can make the landscape work for you. It can be, you know, the same temperature it is on the ground, uh, mm-hmm. so you got hot air blowing through. Uh, this time of year, the light really has a nicer quality to it. Uh, you don't have to get up so early or work so late to get the morning or evening light. But expectation is that it'll be about 55 on the ground when we take off. Probably 48 at the altitude we shoot from. And I'll have 110 miles an hour wind coming in the window. Uh, the wind chill is... It doesn't take a very cool day to make the windshield really substantial. So uh, we're going to dress for it uh, and enjoy the fact that we'll be shooting at probably the highest temperature. They're starting at the highest temperature the whole day. Yeah. Are you able to operate these cameras with any sort of gloves or anything on, or is that just hopeless? You have to deal with it. There are some some thin textured uh, uh, gloves that I've tried out. but when it comes down time to change camera cards, to change storage cards, or do something like change batteries or swap filters out, uh, I do it quicker and and, and more uh, confidently with no gloves on, which means taking the bloody things off anyway. Yeah. And after having glove uh, a glove or two blow out a window. Uh, if that's all you lose, it's okay by me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I uh, over an unpopulated area, always, but uh, nonetheless, then you know, it's like, well, you—it's—it's it's always the wrong hand, the hand that's going to get coldest first. So, I'll probably just shoot barehanded and uh, and take a break every ten or twelve minutes to uh, get the feeling back in my fingers. And I have this image uh, of this poor soul walking along the sidewalk with no gloves on a cold winter day. And, <laughs> one know, just falls out of the sky. One glove just falls fall from the sky. It's a public service, Dave. It's a public service. Yeah, so we're sure. going to have some fun tomorrow. You know, it's going to be a full day of work. And yeah. uh, I've done some research on the airplane and, and I'm uh, fairly familiar with what I'm getting into and its history and, and what uh, it's designed for. So, uh, you know, it's a lot less than hitting something cold. Uh, been looking forward to it for a while. And uh, we'll have the uh, the results in print early next year. And, mm-hmm. and we can talk more about it then. Cool. 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 Good for you. So Good we were you. talking about the fact that it's turning colder. Um, you know, I... 
here's a little bit of a, a little tiny personal story here is that I am right now living for the first time in like three years. I'm, I have no roommates and, uh, uh, and my my living alone and being 100% responsible for all the expenses comes uh, kind of coincidentally with the weather turning really cold here in New England. We have the first uh, frost nights and, and really cold weather. And so I'm kind of freaking out about, you know, how much it's costing to heat this place and, and, and all these kinds of things. And, you know, and it's like I'm turning down the heat at night, giving a lot of thought to saving money on fuel. There's a story in uh, in Avweb this past week um, about uh, let's see now this is uh, Avweb. Oh yeah, skimping on skimping on fuel leads to more emergencies. Uh, we're not talking about heating oil here. We're talking about Avgas. It says at busy Newark Liberty International about Jet A. Uh, airport uh, just outside New York. Seventy three flights landed after telling controllers they were operating with minimum or low fuel during the six now, months. Give us, give us the time frame. Yeah, thank during you. During six months, compared to just five flights making the same declaration during a similar period in two thousand five. The the connotation here, the implication is that uh, is that high fuel prices are leading people to top off just enough to put just enough gas in the tanks, and thus leading to. A, a, a safety problem, a safety issue here. What do you guys think about that? Is is you know? Uh, I don't doubt that that's happening. Um, uh, depending on the airplane, um, we're talking about jet transports, of course. Um, you put uh, you know another thirty minutes of, of fuel on board, and, and that could be maybe ten thousand pounds. The airplane has to haul that ten thousand pounds of fuel around, uh, even if it doesn't use it. And uh, all of that costs additional fuel, costs right. uh, the carrier that much more money to haul that that uh, uh, that fuel around. It in in the scheme of things, of uh, running a transport category aircraft, it might be you know a very small percentage of the overall cost, but it does add up. And uh, the airlines, being the airlines, they will try to cut corners and screen almost cut corners is not the right phrase they will try to reduce their overhead and their their uh, operating expenses uh, to the bone as much as they can mm-hmm. well, this, um, is, this is an interesting this, this is this is a flight crew this is a dispatcher thing and I, i'll come back to the dispatchers in a moment go ahead dave well, I'm just going to say this is, you know, the the the, the thing that interests that I find interesting about this. Uh, first off, is it's dumb as hell. <laughs> but well, you know, it's, aside it's, from that, aside from that, uh, you know, uh, subjective perspective, uh, you know, they're basically working to a uh, an IFR standard. This this is what's happening. For years, pilots have padded their fuel a little bit to allow for the unforeseen contingency. You know, you're expecting a 30-minute delay, you get an hour delay. Suddenly, uh, you know, an hour's fuel margin is only a 30-minute fuel margin. Now you're on bingo fuel, uh, or real close to it. Uh, The airlines aren't, aren't, aren't enforcing anything that violates normal practice with the FARs, what they're doing is pressuring pilots not to take on the cushion fuel that they've gotten used to taking on because of the higher percentage of delays Mm -hmm. and the longer length of those delays. So it's an interesting little uh, uh, netherland here where they're not really violating the FARs uh, and they're leaning on the pilots to subjugate their best judgment 
and pilots are finding creative ways to get around this and not draw attention to themselves so they don't get called on the carpet by management. And now that's, you know, that's a, a responsible flight crew member. Uh, my hat's off to them for that because the pressure to stick with this is really substantial. But Jeb's absolutely right. Uh, fuel, carrying fuel that you don't need costs you performance. Cost performance is money. Uh, it's the same way for the airplanes we fly, except the percentages are so much smaller right. that you know none of us thinks about trimming fuel to save the few you know the few pennies we might save in a 500 mile leg from not tankering an extra you know 10 gallons or full tanks. So we're confident we, that that's this is not an issue for you know regular hundred dollar hamburger pilots. It, no, it yeah. shouldn't well, be. Well, I mean, the guys well, that are going to be goofy with fuel, no. they're going to be goofy with fuel, but right. I mean, the, the guys who, the GA pilots going after the $100 hamburger or $200 hamburger nowadays, um, who are going to cut these corners are going to cut other corners too. Fuel yeah. is, is not the corner that I would be the, uh, the most worried about with those guys. Go, go ahead, Randy. Well, I, you know, I just, uh, on, the, on the GA side, it's this idea of, of traipsing around trying to find the cheapest gas. I um, certainly have run into my. Uh, a share of pilots that, that do that, and uh, um, I know my partner in in our airplane uh, got himself a little close one time doing that. So mm-hmm. yeah. ended up at a uh, well. That's goes another one of those stories where the place was closed. But uh, sure, uh, it, it happens, to, and you only have to ahead, land yeah. once where you barely have enough gas left to taxi to the ramp. To yeah, get over ever doing that again. Yeah, I think he. Uh, That's the truth. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah. He, uh, I, he. He's not done that again. <laughs> to say that. Well, on on yeah. the airline side, though, is it really? Um, you know what? With seventy-three of these fuel situations, you know, reported at Newark alone, what's that doing to this capacity issue that we have in the in the system? I mean, is this another example of of you know? The airline scheduling seventy flights on a runway that can only take uh, seventy that's flights. A on very, a, that's a very good point. It can only take sixty. Um, that's a very good point. And um, thank uh, you, I, money, honey. Yeah, I think I think you know there's probably you know, as with so many other things a wide range of reasons for um, the delays that the the pilots are taking airborne that are causing them to declare min fuel. Uh, ATC is certainly not. A, let me back up. Uh, ATC could be one of them, but mainly it's it's an airport capacity issue as opposed to airspace capacity, and perhaps a smattering of of weather or something. Uh, as I recall from the the stat and the story, that this this uh, period of time involved summer. And uh, this last uh, summer, I think, was, uh, I won't say particularly harsh, but it did have its share of weather-related delays. But what um, are the delays were way up for the period? So. Yeah, I think so. I think, exactly. Now, again, New York area, I don't know if, if um, you know, it was impacted like that. But, you know, another issue going on here, though, too, it'd be interesting to dive down into that data, find out, the aircraft types involved are these RJs, are they MD-80s, are they 75s and 76s, Airby, you know, what are they? A. B, it would be interesting to find out a little bit more about the crews and specifically the dispatchers uh, who are sending out these, these flights 
um, and perhaps even arguing with the flight crews that they have enough fuel on board. Um, and then, then the flight crews are getting into a min fuel situation. Uh, I think I think it can be really interesting to do some data mining here and, and figure out, you know, what's what's going on behind the scenes uh, between the crews, between dispatch, between the company, obviously also. But uh, uh, you know, just the aircraft types involved also. It'd be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one thing, one thing before we go farther with this, that seventy three flights that we're talking about here. Uh-huh. does not count an additional 10 flight crews who declared emergency fuel and right. requested to land immediately. So we're yeah. actually talking about 83 flights mm-hmm. here in that six-month period. They were either at min fuel or going, please keep running, please keep running, please keep <laughs> running. Yeah. Now, you know, again, and I don't mean to minimize this, um, 83 flights – uh, somebody oh, pick around. Argue, you know, obviously we're pick, talking about pick, thousands of flights in a period. Right. Yeah. I don't know what eighty thousand flights over that period. I I don't know. I I'm not suggesting it's not uh, a safety problem, uh, but it is something that needs to be placed in perspective. Well, when you have a number like that go up by that factor, mm-hmm. that's to me, you know, re- regardless of the percentage of flights because chances are the number of flights uh in the measured period is a little lower than the number of flights in the uh, in, in the comparative period in 05 uh because airlines have cut capacity in the last couple of years they've grounded airplanes they're flying fewer flights and higher load factors uh to you know help uh, preserve profit margins so we could well be talking about a number that went up exponentially in a period when f- flight activity actually went down to a certain point. Well, it could, it could be that. And keep in mind, another phenomenon that's been going on here in the airlines is they, they've been moving away from what I would consider you know, the, the standard uh, medium-range aircraft. The, again, the MD-80s, the Airbus 300 series, 320 series, uh, seven five seven threes, and on a lot of routes now they're getting RJs. Yeah, and they're true. getting these these long, longer, thin uh, routes that they're using these RJs on. Um, it's depending on the route, depending on the hub. Uh, there might be more aircraft airborne. Uh, the RJs are operating perhaps more fuel efficiently, but they're also flying longer routes than perhaps they were really intended to be flying. And I wonder if, you know, for example, a lot of these these jets getting into min fuel issues are RJs, even though they're uh, much more fuel efficient than than the larger their larger brethren. Yeah. Uh, if you don't put enough gas on board, you ain't going to have it when you get there. So I don't I don't know. It's, you're, it's, you're on you're on the money about the uh, longer legs the RJs yeah. are flying. Uh, yeah. When uh, Canadair, uh, Canadair, when what's now Bombardier, was still Canadair introduced the concept of the CRJ back about, she went I want to say sixteen seventeen years ago, uh, maybe a little farther, but in that neighborhood. Uh, you know, they were first talking about 35 and 50 seat jets right, right. as uh, replacements on routes that had high density traffic flying on turboprops. 
And the extra speed would let them do extra segments, serve more markets, carry as many people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, as, the, as the regional jets evolved, it's, it's moved into a lot of markets that uh, they really didn't plan on. Uh, they didn't conceive the airplanes for back at the beginning. So uh, that's why you might be on a flight that's going to be flown on an RJ and get to your hub and not have your bag in tow because they've had to offload bags to uh, maintain weight balance and, and uh, maximum weight uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that uh, is not at all unusual if you're flying RJs, even when you get to the small airport, destination airport, they're always fueling them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, that's they, true. they fuel them enough fuel to get, it, get, to get out, and they fuel them up. Uh, just with enough to get back, so Apparently I, it not may well quite. be that. Well, they don't; they can't carry the load. So yeah, because the uh, offloading baggage is a very or offloading passengers so they can accommodate baggage. That's always an interesting one. Yeah, I remember when I was when I flew to Oshkosh this year. The last, the final leg from Milwaukee up to Appleton was on a small. I don't know if it was that particular aircraft, but it was a small jet like that, and. Uh, and we were sitting on the ramp waiting to, you know, they were watching them load the baggage out the window. And my seatmate was looking at his bag being left behind on the pavement. And, uh, oh, oh. You know, <laughs> oh, that's got to hurt. Perhaps because of weight and balance issues, I don't know. But uh, he was he was actually very, very philosophical about it. It didn't well, seem to bother yeah. him an awful lot. Real, real quick story. Back um, um, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, I commuted to a small town um, in um, the Midwest for business. Um, spent a lot of time out there. I'd fly out Mondays, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning. I'd fly back <clears throat> Friday night or Saturday morning. <clears throat> and uh, the last flight out of that particular uh, part of the world to get me back to Washington, D.C. Uh, that night um, was a TWA flight that went through St. Louis. I changed planes and, and got back in the DCA that night. But the flight out of the, the, the location I was departing was a short DC-9. And I discovered, uh, quite by accident actually, that if I showed up a little early for the flight wearing a coat and tie and just you know looked like I could walk and chew gum at the same time, I would automatically get a first-class upgrade because they needed somebody to send in first class for weight and balance. Yeah, that's a DC-910 you're talking about. DC-9, a short DC-9, DC-910, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's and a tip. Okay, I like it. No, there's a, you know, there's a tip. You won't so, find any you know, 910s in the fleet anymore. Though. Yeah, you're, Sorry, no, you, no, they're uh, they're not out there anymore. They're they're uh, you're probably Jays drink, have long since replaced them. You probably drank your last beer out of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few uh, years ago, fl- on a on a on a trip to uh, Las Vegas for an NBAA convention, uh, sitting on the ramp here in Wichita in an RJ. Going to Dallas, going to change planes, and then I think the next equipment was a 757. Uh, I had to curbside, if you will, check my camera bag and my computer bag, which were considered carry-on. And we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there, and it's kind of like, close the doors, guys. It's blustery. It's raining. And uh customer service agent came up into the aircraft and said, ladies and gentlemen, uh we need some people to volunteer to get off, or we're going to have to remove bags. Uh, anybody here willing to volunteer to have their bag taken off, and we'll find it. And I held my hand up and said, I'm not volunteering my bag, but could you make sure you take off only bags that are going to Dallas? Mm-hmm. 
The guy looked at me like I was an idiot and got to Las Vegas, and they're paging me saying, Mr. Higdon, come to the luggage claim area or the luggage well, that's office. That's just never a good sign. <laughs> right. It was like, well, your bag got left in Wichita. <laughs> Uh, because of weight and balance problems, and uh, or weight problems, and uh, uh, something about it you on just pisses fight, us it off. The, you know? <laughs> it hadn't made the connector yet to uh, yeah. to Las Vegas, but it'll be here in the morning. Which bag yeah. should we leave off? Well, there's that troublemaker guy with the yeah. Texas there's that comments. little troll sitting in row two. <laughs> yeah. uh, long and the short of it was the, uh, the 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 boy here had a uh, fairly formal appointment that evening. Uh, with a major airframe company uh, event and was not nearly dressed appropriate for the event mm-hmm. and wound up going to uh, going to the mall and picking out a uh, uh, the lowest cost, which was not cheap, lowest cost uh, uh, passable business ensemble I could on the spot. And uh, next morning, called a contact of mine with the airline and in their PR shop and said, Boy, this is what you guys cost me yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you going to write about that? Well, I haven't talked to anybody about it yet. How about you send us the bill? Okay. Okay. And hey, Annie that, goes, that'd be really nice of you. And Annie goes, Hallelujah, he finally bought some new clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyways, let's see. What else is what's next here? Uh, There's got to be something going on in GA in there. Yeah, that's right. Well, there is, as a matter of fact. And this is actually not on the list. I'm going to jump out of the list for a second here. Now that we've decided GA pilots aren't stupid enough to not take fuel because of performance problems. I guess so, huh? Randy, last time you were with us, which was a little while ago, but last time you were with us, you were still trying to wrap up the final loose ends of your annual um, I actually went back and listened to a couple minutes of that uh, earlier this afternoon, and you were telling us about how in the in the final hours of of buttoning things up, you discovered uh, uh, push rods out of spec. And uh, whatever became of that whole thing, did you get that figured out and replaced? We and- uh, we put some new push rods in it, and um, and as to uh, uh, the bill for that, yeah, did it take many AMUs or? Um, oh, yeah, for the push rods? Yeah. <laughs> well, for the whole project. Actually, I don't know uh, how much the, the final push rods are going to be because the mechanic had already rip, written up the bill. And uh, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. When we do the oil change, uh, we'll, we'll just tack the push rods onto that. And uh, we haven't done the oil change yet. And I was just commenting today that we need to get it over there because it's still got uh, break-in oil in it. And uh, Bring it down to Florida. I'll do your oil change for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this just kills me. You and, you and both, both you and James, it's like if I had some work done on my car, all right, they wouldn't give me my keys until I paid the bill, all right? <laughs> Yeah, and Good both point. you and James flew Good. away with a bill outstanding. It's like, oh yeah, we'll you know we'll send you a bill. It'll be okay, no problem. That's just, I mean, that's maybe that's what aviation, general aviation's about. It's kind of uh, friendly, and they know you'll you'll take care of it in the long run. And you know, they know I, your tail number. Uh, yeah, I'm. I've just we've just been incredibly happy with this uh, with the guy that does the work on our airplane, and uh, um, the problem is, is I think he's going to retire here one of these days, and then I'm not sure what we're going to do. But, mm-hmm. uh, you should fly down to well, to the Mooney guys, I guess, wouldn't work for you, right? <laughs> yeah, we should. 
James over. apparently likes those Mooney guys that are that are out in your neck of the woods. And uh, well, they're they're one of the noted Mooney shops in the in uh, in the country. And um, how they develop that, I don't know. They're also a Columbia dealer, but I don't really know how that's going to turn out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, About a but, week ago. Uh, yeah. No. Anyway, uh, we've been flying the airplane and. Um, um, and Push rods are pushing. Yeah, they are, and uh, you know the thing's not using any oil at all, and it's it's uh, it's it seems to be running really well, and we've been out doing a lot of night work because it's dark out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. working on uh, instrument profic- proficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's it get dark up there? About five ten, five fifteen. Uh, no, uh, after the, the day, the daylight, the day daylight savings time went off, it got dark at four fifty eight. So wow. now we're earlier than that. And, uh, right. Uh, probably and will be until December 21st. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. No, no, no. December 8th. This is a big thing for me. Okay. December 8th. At least in New England, and I can't say this is exactly true everywhere, but it's a funny aspect of the way the sunrise, sunset, day lengths work out is that the actual latest sunset, not the shortest day necessarily, but the latest sunset is usually December 6, 7, 8, something like that. All right. And so uh, for me, that's a big turning point because to me, that's the shortest day of the year because I'm never up when the sun rises anyway. So. So the only, right, the only you know, the only aspect of daylight that matters to me is when the sun disappears, and it then and, and so for me it's that <laughs> December eighth when the days start getting longer again. Ah, uh, sunrise, uh, sunset. Okay. The twenty first, of course, is the shortest day if you measure sunrise to sunset. But uh, but well, that's really what counts, isn't it? I mean, look at that. Well, you know, if you're genetically incapable of turning an ignition key key before before noon noon local time, (laughs) then sunset is the only one that matters. Exactly. And me, you know. So, yeah, see, we're kindred spirits there, Jeb. Yeah. In in fairness to Jeb, I've been with him when we actually turned the key before even 11. But it took effort. Yeah, well. And usually a trip trip to IHOP or Culver's. Mainly the effort was... You know, getting the both of us corralled and and uh, uh, you know moving moving in the same direction in close formation. Speaking um, of I, moving in the same direction in close formation, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got word from our buddies in Wisconsin a few days. Yeah, hello. Are full. Hang on, Dave. You're kind of next coming year. and going here. Start again. The, your friends in Wisconsin said what? Our friends in Wisconsin sent a uh, you know a little that uh, yeah, something going on on your computer, Dave. What are you doing? You're reading email on us again here. What's going on? No, I was opening another window. Is well, there stopped? you go. There you go. Try again. What our did Wisconsin? Up in, our yeah. friends up in Wisconsin sent a note out to earlier this week uh, uh, to uh, uh, remind us all that. Uh, preparations are full tilt boogie for uh, uh, EAA AirVenture Oshkosh 2008. Yeah, and uh, now, now we were going to forget yeah, that right. they were getting <laughs> that they were going to get ready for 2008 Oshkosh. Wow, Dave, you mean they're going to do it again next year? Really? Seems like it. Seems like it. Well, the reason I put this on here, yeah, is that every June, late June and July, uh, people start, you know. Uh, yeah. laying in pretty serious questions about uh, going to Oshkosh. Uh-huh. And, uh, 
the uh, is it too late to get a room? Where should I stay? What do you have to do? Can you camp? Can you park? Blah, blah, blah. So we put this in there because I figured November wasn't too early to remind people that if you're really interested, now's a really good time to start thinking about things like a room, where you want to stay, how you're going to get there. Uh, we'll nudge them more when the NOTAM comes out next year. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not too early. I used to, back in my days when I was staying in the, uh, the, uh, University of Wisconsin uh, dormitories. For I stayed there for about three, four, five years in a row, and I had this great routine going for the first couple of years that I was there. Is that uh, I would have my reservation already, and I would arrive to check in, and you would go into one of these big rooms on the ground floor, and you would go up to the desk, and you would check in, very much like a hotel check in. And uh, you'd finish all your check-in, and then you'd kind of turn 180 degrees, and you'd walk across the room to the other desk where you'd make your reservation for the following year, right? And that's what you had to do if you were going to get a reservation in the dorms for a year later. And halfway through my time staying in the dorms, that stopped working because you had to make the reservation before you even arrived for a given year. You had to make the reservation for the following year. Yeah, a friend of mine from Virginia has been staying in the dorms for many I don't know, 20-odd years. Uh, for those of you that may not be aware, the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, uh, fairly substantial campus. they got some nice dormitories there, and they open those up to the public and rent them out to the airshow crowd, and there's buses that run on a regular schedule between the dorms at UOSH, as they call it, and the showgrounds out at Whitman Regional Airport. And it's a great deal, and it's a good way to meet a lot of uh, a lot of other uh, crazy air show people. Uh, but when you started having to make reservations for next year before you got there for this year, it really kind of uh, torques some people out. But yeah. you know, the the demand just runs that way. It does. It does. Yeah. I really, you know, and I stayed there for a few years, and I finally, although the, you know, it's. It's better than a tent in terms of, in some ways. I just miss it's being at the field. definitely drier. Well, yeah, but anyways, it's way too so, early to be jonesing about Oshkosh here. Let's move on to something. Yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> it's just okay, way July, too early. The dates so, are July 28th through August 3rd, uh-huh, 2008. A, so, you know, those of you that, you know, think you're going to be doing it, don't wait until bloody June and ask us, gee, how do I get a room in Wisconsin? Yep. Uh, Milwaukee will be the answer. That's right. <laughs> So about a week ago, uh, Randy said, well, we've been, for, for, for some weeks now, uh, we've been talking about uh, ADSB here on the podcast. We've been talking about the uh, NPRM that had come out recently and just kind of generally talking about the whole subject of this new technology. And, and I kept going on as if I knew what I was talking about, uh, you know, about the fact that this, this uh, NPRM, this requ- these requirements were like for 10 years out into the future and how how are they ever going to predict you know what technology is going to be usable and workable 10 years out and so forth and so on and randy sent us an email which i thought was pretty interesting he had a, he actually stopped to read the thing uh and second of all he looks at it from a from a, a technologist point of view and had an interesting perspective uh on on the whole subject of whether the well randy tell us your perspective it was interesting well, I mean, the key uh, the key issue, the key thing about this NPRM is is that it's just infrastructure. This is just to lay pieces in place so that applications can be built on top of those pieces. And um, 
looking at the NPRM and and if you can actually if you actually dig into some of the stuff that's floating around on the internet that actually preceded that, um, there's actually been a tremendous amount of very detailed research done on uh, on what this infrastructure needed to be and and what some of the potential future applications for it might be. Um, Certainly, uh, you guys have talked before about the uh, the deployment that uh, the Ohio River Valley that um, you know where UPS is using it to to self separate and uh, uh, airplanes and and of course the folks that have installations now and in places where the ground infrastructure exists. Um, you know, you get the traffic information and weather information and. Those, to me, are just really the basic kind of um, baby step sort of applications that this that this infrastructure could provide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the- and key to it all is just getting getting the ground station infrastructure in place and getting airplanes to report out this information. And it's not just position data that's that uh, that's being transmitted. There's uh, 12 or 14 different messages that are in the mm-hmm. NPRM that initially will have to be broadcast by the airplane. The, the comparison that you made in your email that I found particularly persuasive was you compared this spec to the early specs that defined the Internet. And uh, and, and those specs have held up really well over the years, and, and you kind of made that comparison that, uh, that, that in some ways that's what this is. Exactly. I mean, the... the, the I'm sure there were those when the internet was initially uh, when the proposed when the the actual internet uh, the, the this this technique of being able to connect networks together um, when that was first proposed I'm sure there were people all over the technology spectrum saying you know this is baloney it's gonna you know it's gonna last about 20 months and then you know we're gonna have to do something entirely different. And uh, even 10 years ago, uh, there was a lot of talk about how the addressing scheme of the Internet had already fallen apart and was running out of addresses. But, um, but boy, folks just kept coming up with good ideas of how to, how to uh, better use what was there. And, um, and in the end, the stuff that really made the Internet fly were the applications. The World Wide Web, uh, you know, instant messaging, um, uh, voice over IP, uh, the Skype, um, you know, those are the things that are really uh, making uh, made the internet, not the not the underlying technical infrastructure that the, the infrastructure allowed it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly the same thing that we're going to see with ADSB. I don't think we can even imagine some of the future applications that there are going to be. And some of the key things that were uh, there's there's a couple of statements in the NPRM that says you know this is the stuff that we are requiring right now, um, and but we believe that this is an infrastructure that can grow to meet future needs, and, uh, and I, I don't think I disagree. Mm-hmm. It's, no, it's, it makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, it's it's a it, it's a basic tool that they want to use to replace the basic tools that we've got now. The ones we have now are just awful. <laughs> well, they, you know, they've worked and uh, with using the same, the same uh, observation. You know, 
there's been some really creative stuff done to improve the performance of what we've got now. That but is absolutely true. Yeah. We've gotten long past the limits of what the technology can uh, uh, get in a way of extra performance and, and, and extra accuracy out of the existing system. Uh, and then had this great window where GPS has become the uh, has become the backbone of VFR and IFR navigation for so mm-hmm. many people. So you're not having read anything more than the first couple pages of the uh, of the NPRM. I I was under the impression that I, I jumped to the conclusion that that this particular spec was about specifying and requiring a particular device or a particular type of device for the aircraft and and what randy the way randy describes it to me and maybe you guys knew this all along is that is that it's much more about a spec for transferring data and uh, uh, what the nprm basically does is specify what an airborne transmitter must transmit yeah uh, to be compliant with adsb it's it's an early spec uh, it's designed uh, mainly so that uh, avionics manufacturers uh, will know what messages, what data uh, their equipment must transmit to be certified uh, by the FAA per, you know, RTCA whatever or, or TSO whatever uh, specifications. And, you know... That's that's fine. That's all well and good. And and Randy, I hope you're right. Um, I I I don't want to uh, you know throw cold water. I'm just scratching my head, trying to figure out how a lot of that stuff's going to work. And it hasn't been adequately explained. It hasn't been adequately detailed. I guess, for lack of a better term. And you know, maybe it'll come. Um, and I hope it does. And I hope, you know, the birds sing and, and the, the sun shines and we, we all sing Kumbaya. Uh, I, I, but I, I am because that's be the li- measure of success in the general aviation industry. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I thought resist- I had the tail music for this particular episode, but now I have a whole new candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I want to believe, you know, uh, um, but um, I I just have to be a little bit skeptical because I've seen the FAA screw the pooch, so to speak, too many times in the past, uh, and I've seen too many promises, you know, uh, go by the wayside when you know the first uh, the first hiccup or bump in the road comes along. So, yeah, Randy, I think you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm not getting in. You know, I don't think it's a, a half glasses half full, glasses half empty kind of thing. I think um, the NPRM. There's, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with the NPRM. And uh, and I'm not really sure. You know um, that we. I don't. I don't know uh, what was on Jack's mind per se, but I don't think we really critiqued the NPRM uh, per se. Um, uh, no, we picked I, on the FAA and past. We, 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 we picked on the FAA and past performance, and and that that picking is more of a hardware uh, kind of picking. Um, the, the ground-based stuff. Uh, uh, the requirements, how they're going to be implemented, all that kind of thing. There's just a lot of uncertainties out there. Uh, the well, NPR. And, and, oh, I, I don't there's no question that for this yeah. to be the the uh, uh, I don't want to use the word salvation here. For this to provide the benefits, 
in capacity and you know movement of traffic and and, and accuracy and all that that, uh, that it holds promise to do. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's out in phase two and phase three of the FAA's plan that we haven't heard about yet. Well, new, new flight procedures and in route procedures and exactly eventually new the, instrument approaches right, and right. You know, new SIDs and stars. Are, and, the benefits are in the applications, not in right. the infrastructure. But right. without the infrastructure, you can't have the applications. Right. Right. You know, hence going back to the internet comparison and. Uh, uh, there would not have been a World Wide Web had they not figured out how to, you know, have do the internet part. So, the uh, so you know they've got to get the ADSB part of it right. I mean, the the network's got to go in. The data networks underneath it have to go in. Um, well, yeah. you, you talk about the benefits coming in the applications, and, and uh, I think it was Jack that mentioned the Ohio River Valley test. It was Randy. Uh, that you, was it Randy? That UPS uh, uh, participated in going back, gee, many, what, a decade now? Or close to it. Uh, they already have a third party application uh, in use for their entire fleet, which is all ADSB compliant. That exactly. actually, you know, we've talked about this before, manages the flow of aircraft to the point of transmitting speed and altitude correction data to individual aircraft to keep them in sequence for maximum runway acceptance rate. Right. Uh, good weather and bad. Mm-hmm. They can yeah. just about put them down in, on, on Louisville International's runways at the same rate, thanks to ADSB, at the same rate in bad weather as they can in good weather, the exception being whatever disruption conflicting traffic might cause. Because they've got WAS, they've got the accuracy in GPS, uh, they've got approaches written for it, and they've got ADSB to keep track of it all. Uh, can we yeah. can we can we stipulate something though? Sure. And the stipulation would be somewhere something along the lines that they can pretty much do that now. Not not to the degree that they can with ADSB, not, not, not without not, ADSB. Not to the same accuracy. Yeah, you know, well, without okay. the same accuracy, they don't get the same capacity benefits. Um, that's where cost benefit analyses come in. Yeah, explain. Well, there, I, I, I doubt seriously that there's been any screw up on that part where UPS is concerned. Because no, I would, you know, I would agree with. They don't buy. They don't I buy a stamp unless they know it's going to be worthwhile. Yeah, I would agree with you. I guess. I guess my only point is uh, when I say that um, um, we we can do that now is we can do that now, and that's with ATC and some controllers and some some pilots and crews working together. Take some communication. But we can do that now, I guess is my point. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you there, particularly in, no. the, in, you know, in the inclement weather circumstances where uh, uh, radar accuracy becomes a real issue as you get traffic moving in close together. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking – my mother lives under one of the approaches to Louisville International. My hometown's mm-hmm. across the river. Uh, I'm going home for Christmas in a few weeks, and i got to tell you, man – the conga line of UPS planes that we'll see after dark coming in there. If the winds sure. are out of the out of the uh, if the winds are out of the south, like they very often are that time of year, uh, it's just amazing to see how tightly they stack them in there. I don't see them that tightly stacked in places like DFW on a good day, and they'll be running them in there 
at about that rate in lousy weather. But you, hey, can you know, see them break out from our mother's house. The interesting thing about that, Jeb, too, is that this application, I mean, UPS built the application, right? Not right. FAA? Right. I think well, you're UPS, probably right. UPS bought the application from a third party. You're right. You know, but it, uh, and so um, I, I'm not sure that the infrastructure that we have today really enables the development of those kinds of applications. And I think that's really what this first cut is all about. And, yeah. and, and you know, again, it's infrastructure. I, I, nobody ever makes a nickel on infrastructure. Uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, Jack, you can probably attest to that in the tech business. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but you got to have it. And, uh, and if you don't got it, I mean, you know, uh, one of the coolest features – that is in there that um, that just makes all the sense to me is that there is a message defined that I think you have to be able to transmit from the NPRM, which is an ATC communications request. So assuming that's the case, there could be a button on your transponder that says, uh, I want to talk to ATC. And if you... When you go into a, when you pull into a busy sector, I mean it's not unusual to have to sit and wait for That's true. minutes before you can get a word in edgewise, and then you don't know when you key up if you're talking over the top of three other guys that are doing the same thing. Oh, you probably and, are. Yeah, good. And then and the controller hears none of you then, and so then you're wondering why the guy didn't call you back. And uh, um, if you've got this. This ability to just say, you know, uh, you, you just got the handoff, so you push this button that says, I want to talk to ATC, and these things all queue up, and and this guy just starts calling everybody on the list, because also when that went out, you know, your your tail number went out, uh, uh, went out with it, your tail number and your squat code. Yeah, I try never to go anywhere without my tail number. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty interesting, and I think that's a that's a very interesting perspective. I find it a very interesting perspective on this thing that I had been kind of, you know, taking shots at. So, uh, good, good, good stuff, Randy. It's very interesting. We're going to keep following that and and seeing where it's going and how it's going. Um, one other, I don't know if this is a big news or a little news, but just kind of an update. Uh, f- another update from our friends in Washington D.C. Um, so the uh, FA reauthorization. Has it been extended again, or is I'm not sure where we are on this. Do you guys know? Yeah. yeah. Go, Go Jeff. Go. No, I don't know because I'm, I'm I haven't been following this. I'm going to open the link and. Uh, oh, uh, December the 14th is what I real, heard. Yeah, real quick. Um, the uh, the November reauthorization was about to expire, so they did another CR continuing resolution okay, that yeah, extended yeah. it to December 14th. And the consensus opinion among the alphabet group lobbyists is that we'll get to December 13, and they'll send the White House another continuing resolution to keep yeah. things going until probably uh, February. Yeah, that, that sounds plausible right now. Is this just uh, business as usual, or are this, yeah. is there some sort yeah, of deadlock going ex- on? Or? Not exactly. It's a little beyond business as usual. Uh, and usually this stuff starts to get wrapped up around Thanksgiving, which is next week, uh, because well, the, the lawmakers want to get the hell home. It's business as usual uh, in a in a an environment where you've got a presidential election looming. Well, that's uh, true, and, and both sides are kind of you know playing each other. When you got a White uh, House in one party and the Congress in right. the other, right? 
uh, although it's debatable whether the Congress is in the other party, but I won't go there. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I love I it when you're subtle. I know, I know. Uh, um, Hand me yeah, that I would, two by I would four. Agree. I need to hit a mule. I, I would agree that uh, uh, it's increasingly likely that uh, uh, Cong- FAA, I should say, will just be funded under a CR continuing resolution into uh, – uh, early next year, it could be as as late as uh, the, uh, March one or thereabouts. Um, How does it work when they wrap up these these CRs later on? Do they retroactively increase fees, or you know, I mean, will, how does that work? It can it, it can go either way. It, it would it wouldn't go uh, it wouldn't go retroactively because the counting system it wouldn't even under the under the proposed legislation it wouldn't even be concurrent it would be prospective in that there would be uh-huh. an implementation date a year or so day in the in the future I see so okay. this this wouldn't go retroactively um, and just the, it'd be an administrative nightmare to do that but would they could they increase fuel taxes for example retroactively no because the fuel's already been bought and burned yeah so that they would have to do it you know on a date certain sometimes they would right. do it on the date it was enacted sometimes they would do it you know 30 days after enactment or sometimes they'd do they, it you know they, pick they, a date they, they could well provide the funding amount right. that the whole year would have used mm-hmm. Which will then put the FAA in a position of having all that money and only eight or nine months to use it, which is not necessarily a good thing. No. Uh, but I heard a little ripple of something that concerned reauthorization that really kind of bothered me. Is that the trust uh, fund raid? Yeah. This yeah. idea that they would. Uh, well, they're always talking let, about this. Is it more real now? Well, when they, re- when they reauthorized the FAA. Last time, the law was set up so that the airport and airways trust funds revenues could only be used for airport and airways stuff. That it had to be spent on aviation programs and the FAA, as opposed to the uh, uh, old practice of using whatever uncommitted surplus there was to offset the apparent size of the federal deficit. Uh, there's talk about letting this lapse so they can bring this back and, and lose that constraint that doesn't let them use the uncommitted surplus to offset the, uh, the uh, deficit. And the danger in this is this is what we went through a bunch in the 80s and 90s, is that then they'll use the need for that budget offset as an excuse for not funding FAA programs. Exactly. They, well, we we've got a budget crisis, you know. Yeah, the trust fund's got twelve billion dollars in it, but we can only spend four and a half this year because we need that other uh, uh, eight, uh, seven and a half to to go against the deficit and 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 artificially make it look smaller. Right. That was it's just, an accounting gimmick. Right. It sucks. We should be raising holy hell about it, like we have about user fees. Yeah, that, that was a favorite of the Reagan administration back in the eighties, um, and, and we we talked about that a little bit last week. Actually, um, I can't imagine 
well, I don't know. I can imagine anything, I guess. But uh, I was um, say these days there's yeah, nothing outside uh, the bounds of sci-fi. I, I think I think the um, the aviation um, uh, community in Washington, and by that I mean both elected officials, trade association officials, and and uh, the airlines, et cetera. I think that's one issue on on which they can all pretty much agree. Um, and uh, I think uh, it probably won't go very much further. We mm-hmm. can only hope. But yeah. you know, kiddies, fellow aviators, be prepared for a pitch from your favorite alphabet groups, whatever you belong to, to uh, contact your lawmaker and say, not only do we not want user fees, we don't want you raiding the freaking trust fund. Mm-hmm. We got too much infrastructure need, too many uh, uh, spending priorities to be borrowing, quote unquote, against the trust fund to make bad spending habits look less heinous. This, this is where the phrase sand in the Vaseline comes to mind. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. Uh, yeah, we, could take, we could take that out later, later on. I think it deserves to be there. Yeah, probably not. Probably, probably won't take it out. Uh, so let's see. You know, we talked about Oshkosh. Uh, you know, uh, there's a, and and when when you talk about big air shows, you talk about Oshkosh and you talk about Sun and Fun, and of course in the commercial world you talk about Paris and and that kind of thing. Farnborough. But Farnborough, but uh, Dubai apparently, right? <laughs> Dubai puts on apparently a very serious big commercial uh, uh, yeah. event for, uh, and a lot of news came out of it over the last uh, few days and. Uh, um, the only one that I, I've got on our list um, is, and this is something we talked about in the earliest days of the uh, of uncontrolled airspace, the uh, supersonic business jet, the uh, Arion. Is that how you pronounce it? Arion, yeah. The Arion yeah. started taking orders, uh, accepting orders there, and uh, are, are you, yeah, they've been are quoting my old buddy about, Ryan Barrett's. Are you talking about um, the uh, the uh, personage who has made the first order? Well, that's the notorious part of the story, yeah. But uh, <laughs> the uh, Arion. It's interesting. I have two stories on my screen here. One is the official press release from, uh, from uh, probably from Arion, uh, which kind of just kind of gives you the basic story about how, oh, uh-huh. cool, look at this. We started taking orders and people are lining up and da 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 da. And then and then our friends at Avweb, as a matter of fact, have given us the real good dirt here. Which is a, a very notorious name uh, is one of, not only the name, not necessarily the the particular notorious person, but oh, the, the the personage is is definitely uh, of a different cut. Yeah. But it turns out that uh, the half brother of Osama bin Laden was one of the fir- or the first person to the, put a, a deposit. The first, on the, the first on an area. And, 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 and I have in, I have in my inbox sent out this morning from their PR rep. Uh, a very large photograph, uh, PR photograph of uh, the uh, handshake ceremony, uh-huh. the grip, the, oh, grip, the grip and grin, the grip and grin photo, uh, and, I, and I will zap that to Jack for. Uh, actually, let me just zap. So this it is right between now. this oh, is between yeah. Arion and this uh, Tarek bin Laden guy. Yep. Tarek bin Laden. Yes. Yep. 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 Well. Okay. And, cool. and and it was. You I know, would have pocket, expected pocket them to play this down. I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I don't it know. It was pocket no, change I, I, for the gentleman. He was able to put down only oh, yeah. 50000 toward an $80 million Mach 1.68 to 12 seat airplane. Uh-huh. Well, well it's, that's, also, it's also vaporware right now. Too. Yeah, that's my Absolutely. question. Is Absolutely. this thing ever going to fly? I mean, you know, is it? 
given the people so behind it there? and the work that's gone into it, uh, and of course, I'm always more easily impressed by some of these pr- the things than others. But right now, I would put it five to three in favor of uh, of making that's, it that's, a certification. Uh, that's pretty fair. I would I would agree with Dave on that. Um, <laughs> uh, keeping in mind that um, one of the the uh, one of the uh, aerodynamic engineering uh, feats that they claim to be pulling off in this is uh, the ability to shape the fuselage and the wing such that and fly it at an altitude such that they can go supersonic over land masses and the resulting shock wave will be of such a nature that it will not reach the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. Thus, allow, thus allowing them to fly at supersonic, and thus making it a a, a viable uh, uh, business aircraft. Uh, I don't know if it's the Arion or in, you know. There's been so many of these uh, proposals over the years. Uh, one of them was designed mainly to uh, you know get across the Pacific from say San Francisco to Tokyo in like three hours or something like that. Right. Or, this is not, not that airplane. Not, yeah, this is not that airplane. This is but, not that airplane. Yeah, I don't. Three hours is probably too short a period of time, but uh, um, for, for that for that particular uh, jaunt, well, there, but there was actually some uh, research done and and uh, some studies performed. Uh, you know, we were looking at a, basically a Mach five uh-huh. airplane to make that trip, and some of that started back in the uh, Reagan administration that you mentioned yeah. before. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I remember we were talking. Uh, we were talking about. Um, um, that, and we were talking about, um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, uh, uh, Scott Crossfield. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and I remember Scott giving a speech at some point talking about, it was called the Orient Express. Yes. Yes. And uh, t- he's talking about how, yeah, we can get from San Francisco to Tokyo in, in whatever it was, five hours, but our luggage would be in Des Moines. <laughs> 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 the typical, you know, crossfield uh, uh, kind of thing, talking about how, yeah, uh, you know, we can we can do the uh, the aeronautical technology, we can do the aeronautical engineering, but the infrastructure won't support it. Well, right so, now there's about three of these SSBJ projects uh, that are in some stage of, of research and development. Uh, Arion, I believe, may be the farthest along in terms yeah. of. Uh, yeah. The amount of research they've done, they've narrowed the target very specifically. Uh, we're not talking about Concorde speeds. We're not talking about Orient Express speeds here. Mach yeah. 1.6 uh, does not push the envelope nearly well, as much as, as those other marks would. It, it's about 0.8. Uh, uh, with the exception of the Citation X, the Citation 10, it's about 0.7 or 0.8 uh, faster than anything else out there. That's right. Uh, off-the-shelf engines, uh, a wing technology, and Brian Barrents is an, is, is an old, old, old uh, uh, I can call him a friend. We've had beers together, smoked cigarettes together and all that. Is there anybody with whom you haven't had a beer? If that's the criteria, Dave, the world is your friend. Uh, and, uh, 
one of the things that Brian was uh, <laughs> explaining to me in detail at NBAA this year is that the airframe and the wing design they're using, this is not a delta wing airplane. Right. It's actually a straight double tapered wing. And one of the reasons for that is that it allows the uh, this particular platform to fly subsonic without a huge fuel consumption penalty. It's about as efficient subsonic mm -hmm. as a contemporary business jet, which means operating it in continental environments where supersonic is currently regulatorily banned will not make it economically impractical from an operational standpoint, uh, which was a problem for an airplane like the Concorde. Uh, you know, that's why the Concorde basically only served coastal destinations. Uh, it, its fuel efficiency subsonic was horrendous. Mm -hmm. It was much more fuel efficient, uh, supersonic, mm -hmm. and just paid a great penalty in fuel flying subsonic. Yeah. You so guys go, New go York check. And Washington and Miami. And, right. And go, go check your Washington. email. Yeah, okay. well, I can't check my email. There was a screw up the Skype, but uh, well, that's kind of interesting. We're that's it's an interesting airplane. We have to follow this. I have to admit that the given the first customer, it makes me wonder whether the spec uh, calls for it to be approved for operations in and out of unimproved mountain airstrips. But that's <laughs> oh man, that, that, that's you know that guy. That's hanging on him something that he really doesn't. Deserve. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a cheap, yeah. easy joke. I, yeah. He's probably a nice guy, and uh, and. Uh, well, we definitely know he's nicer than his half-brother. Well, it doesn't take much, but I'm sure he's a good guy. <laughs> and uh, he clearly likes airplanes, and that's a point in his favor. So, anyway, speaking of airplanes, going from the zippy to the, I don't know, z immense. I was going to say Zoftig. I don't know if that really applies or not. Uh, uh, Randy, zippy to Zoftig? Woo. I, I don't know. Randy, did you actually see this A380 when it visited town? No, it's coming here. Uh, the... Uh the 27th of this month. I think it's coming from Orlando. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Anything about I, that, Jeff? I, no, I haven't. Um, I, I try not to pay much attention to Orlando, actually. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> um, no, I haven't heard a peep about it. Is this it. part of the Grand Tour? We've, we've, we've heard reports of it visiting various airports for various reasons. I, is this still part well, of the it's, PR it's, tour? It's, or? I, I've heard it's route the proving flight still. Yeah, it's, keep, it's yeah, the keep, second Grand Tour, uh -huh. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in mind that, that any new aircraft like the A380 has to physically fly into an airport before it can be used to, to fly into that airport with paying passengers on it. So you, you, some you don't of this to take passengers right. in there on its first flight. Right. Some of this, and, and or not only just the airport, but the route involved also. Right. So. Um, it's it kind of like that thirty-day currency thing, right? You know, got, yeah, yeah. Uh, it could well be, you know, they're doing uh, route-proving flights and and doing PR at the same time, which is obviously not a bad way to do it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Well, so, Randy, you going to go out and check it out? Is it landing? Well, I'm going to I'm going to try get as close to it as I can. I, I you know, I don't know how close that'll be. I, Anything inside three miles will be close enough. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. I was going to say. The, the box your uh, 747 came in. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, one, of the, uh, one thought would be to, uh, if the thing was, uh, you know, parked over on a particular ramp, would be to go take the Skyhawk over there and which would get you inside the security fence, wouldn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's like ground. I need to taxi by this particular uh, taxiway. <laughs> be sure and take your camera. 
unable, yeah. unable yeah. to actually, taxi way need this I, one. You know? Yeah, actually, Grant, that looks kind of far. Can I just fly over there? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, we, we all want to report. I haven't. I've never yeah, seen any of these things with my my own eyes. Have you, Dave or Jeb? Have you seen this thing yet? No, I I've saw it when it. it visited visited being. It didn't touch down. It did a low pass, actually, too, mm-hmm. at Wichita Mid-Continent a few weeks ago because the wing was designed primarily by uh, an Airbus engineering shop here in Wichita. Little known fact, uh, Wichita is home to a very large contingent, 175, 200 people, I think it is, engineers working directly for Airbus in Toulouse. And they're linked up with fiber optic connections, and they work real time with one another, uh, the Europeans and the Americans. And uh, this particular shop did uh, a great deal of the design and engineering work on the wing on the A380. So in honor of that contribution, Airbus, during one of the positioning flights for a proving flight, flew the airplane past Wichita Midcontinent brought it down to 500 feet, did a low pass, it went out, did a 180, came back the opposite direction, did it again, and then it was off to where it was going. Uh, could see it descending for the southbound pass from my house here. Uh, it's like encountering uh, an AN-224 in flight. Uh-huh. It's just so big, you it's can't big. imagine that it really gets off the ground. Were you close enough to it to get a sense of the of the noise factor? One one of our listeners couldn't, reported couldn't that it was it. very quiet. I didn't hear it at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. Well, I want I, I want to see what this was. My eyes sometime several soon. months ago when I well, saw. I don't have the name or the link in front of me, but uh, the uh, one of the other things that came out of Dubai Dubai this week was the identity of the first buyer of an A three eighty flying Palace. <laughs> Uh, the VIP version. And it turns out that that Middle Eastern businessman, Saudi Arabian, I believe, also like Tarak uh, bin Laden, uh, already has a uh, VIP 747-400. So this is going to be a step up uh, by, uh, you know. So there's a bargain out there. Well, yeah, look what's coming on the market, you know. Well, it's got almost six thousand bloody feet of square square feet of floor space right, right. <laughs> in an airplane. Right, it's yeah. like oh my god, it's got a hot tub <laughs> and an exercise room. It's got a hot tub, even though we never did figure out exactly how that works. Hey, they we're reaching jello. We're definitely reaching jello. the end of our allotted time Doesn't here. Slosh as much. Any uh, any other stories we should talk about before we move on here? Any shout outs? Anybody want to plug anything? Any uh, so who who posted the? I think it was Dave. Dave clearly was reading all the EAA press releases this past week, and uh, they've apparently well, just announced two, the two notable things. I yeah. mean, I get stuff from uh, uh, my friend Dick Nepinski up there on a pretty regular basis. But uh, when they start pumping the coming Oshkosh, you know, things have turned serious up there. That uh, there's a whole group of people that are on. You know, uh, on standby, doing regular work on the show. The there, must be, there must be snow in the forecast. Always in Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, that's uh, true. The other was the uh, the uh, start of the annual push, if you will, to sell sweepstakes tickets for their annual airplane giveaway, which occurs right mm-hmm. at the end of Oshkosh. Uh, 
this year there are actually two aircraft prizes. And now is not too early to get yourself a ticket if you're so inclined. Uh, but the grand prize is a new, that's new from Duluth, Cirrus SR-20. Uh, that would be good. A, I can work with that. $225,000 $225, airplane. And it's a dollar uh, ticket, right? A dollar ticket. The other, they're giving away two aircraft again this year, like they did last year with uh, our friend Stu Horn at uh, Aviot Aircraft. They gave away two Huskies last year. Uh, well, this year they're giving away the SR-20 and a rotorway helicopter kit. Uh, that's you know pretty close to quick build status. So there's two potential ways to fly cheap, folks. Uh, you can buy the tickets online. We'll have the link. Uh, you don't have to be present to win. You will have to pay income taxes on the value of the price. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but, if you sell it, you'll still have to pay income tax. If you sell it, you'll still have, but you will make a profit if you sell it. Sure. You'll have, uh, you'll have something to pay the income tax with, but... But if you just pay the income taxes, brother, an S, a new SR-20 for the cost of the income taxes is one cheap way to go almost 200 miles an hour. There you go. Well, we'll all have to buy lottery tickets then. And, uh, uh, and can you buy them you before you get – I, I only you, know if you go out there and they're always hawking them at, oh, on the flight line. They're selling them well, now. They just uh, – they mailed me some in the mail. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and the link that I uh, connected with that is a link to the, uh, I believe it's a link to the website where you can uh, uh, buy tickets online. Okay, well, we'll try and get that into the show notes here. Anything else? for those of you planning to fly Thanksgiving trips next week, shiny uh, side up. be mindful of the weather. It is the fall. And, uh, you know, make sure Grandma and Grandpa know that you might be a little bit late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's that's very. Dave raises a very good point here. Uh, in this time of year, there's a lot of pressure on pilots uh, to to meet schedules to get from point A to point B in an airplane. Uh, and this time of year, also, there's some iffy weather out there. And every year at Thanksgiving and every year at Christmas, we we read about uh, fatal airplane crashes on Thanksgiving Day or on Christmas Day, or and uh, or people trying to get to Grandmama's house or something like that. And uh, it's very sad. Uh, it's very tragic, and it doesn't have to happen. Uh, be careful out there, and and just you know, don't bend the rules. Uh, over Thanksgiving or Christmas, the same rules that you'd use, uh, you know, 363 days out of the year elsewhere doing other things when there's not so much pressure on you. Uh, Got to confirm with you, man. That homesick Angel Express stuff can Mm -hmm. be deadly. Uh, And remember, remember, you know, Grandma and Grandpa are going to be a lot happier to see you late and alive Mm-hmm. rather than late and in a pine box. Mm-hmm. And as far as the turkey's concerned, there's always leftovers. As long mm-hmm. as there's a little gravy, you're good to go. That's right. And if, you're, if you're, you're, your first ex-wife-to-be complains about uh, how you're, you're not, you're not going to be able to get to her mother's house, <laughs> you, reach up, you reach up and you switch the intercom to where you can't hear her. Says pilot isolate. That's right. <laughs> and you you fly the airplane and you put it on the ground safe and sound and in one piece wherever you deem appropriate and worry about you know getting home or getting back to grandmama's later on. Just 
get the airplane on the ground in one piece. And if it's someplace you didn't plan to land, guarantee you there'll be a phone number or a courtesy car, somebody that will get you to a turkey buffet somewhere. That's right. right. There, there, are, there are plenty of them out there. That's right. Use your uh, That's right. Okay. Uh, I, I've had some pretty miserable Thanksgivings myself. Uh, uh, some of that related to airplanes and weather and some of it not. But uh, it ain't the end of the world. Uh, and um, uh, it might be if you try to push on. There you go. There and we, you go. We, we'd, we'd love to hear from you coming back from Thanksgiving about what your trips were like. Uh, but mostly, we, we, we'd like you to have a nice Thanksgiving alive wherever. Yeah, mo- mostly, we'd like to hear from you after Thanksgiving. There you go. Anything else, Randy? Any, any uh, final? Uh... <laughs> Sorry. What's cool. What's that? Oh, no, it's, it's our smoke alarm. <laughs> His house is on fire. Yeah, no. Well, I guess it is time to wrap it up then. Uh, smoke and aces. Randy, uh, before you have to run out of the house here, thanks for joining us in the virtual hangar this week. It's been... <laughs> Clearly, we have something to talk about next time you join us, so uh, you can report on the fire. But uh, yeah, thanks, again, thanks again, Randy. We appreciate it. It's always fun to have you here. And, uh, always a pleasure, Randy. Great fun Thank joining you. you. Uh, particularly your, your perspective on that ADSB, ADSB thing was pretty educational, and, and all your comments are, are great. Uh, you still don't have any formal web presence, is that right? Nothing you want to plug? Uh, no. No, you can Google my name and find all sorts of yeah, stuff. That's, you know, as a matter of fact, I just did that. So I Googled your name, and uh, and the entire first page of Google results seems to be you. This is the new common president, Randy Dufo takes the helm. This is your uh, business thing, right? This is the right, uh, right, business, right. the uh, tech association that you're involved with. Right. And uh, But then I discovered if you add the word Air Venture, if you Google Randy Dufo Air Venture, you get a list of all kinds of stories that he's written as part of uh, – part of uh, air venture today over the years so uh, thank you randy appreciate your being with us today if you want to does exclude the other randy dufo that uh, has written articles on uh on turf management at golf courses uh, that's yeah, not me. Uh, that's right. Dave's Dave's or, alter ego is a tennis guy. So see, here you guys are pretty much in the same boat. There. If you want to learn more about Jeb, you can also uh, check out his uh, uh, information at jebburnside.com, at also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com, and uh, learn more about uh, Senior Capitan Higdon, Dave Higdon, at davehigdon.com, and myself at uh, jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net, and of course check out uh, all of the uncontrolled airspace activities uh, and information at uncontrolled airspace.com so thank you everyone for joining us in the virtual hangar uh, this week and we'll talk to you all again next time have a happy thanksgiving everybody see y'all later fly safe